Chapter 7 of In the Field, 1914-1915. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by FNH. In the Field, 1914-1915. By Marcel Dupont. Chapter 7. Chapter 7. Sister Gabrielle. It was a very dark night. How were we to find our way about the little unknown town of Elverding, near which our regiment had just been quartered? We could hardly make out the low houses with closed windows and long roofs of thatch or slate, and kept stumbling on the greasy and uneven cobblestones. Now and again the corner of a street or the angle of a square was lit up dimly by a ray of light filtering through half-closed shutters. I went along haphazard, preceded by my friend B., we were quite determined to find beds and to sleep in peace. After our four days' fighting near Bixchute, we had been sent to the rear ten kilometres away from the line of fire to get twenty-four hours' rest, had arrived at nightfall, and found much difficulty in putting up our men and horses in the small farms around the town. But no sooner had they all found places, no sooner had the horses got their nose-bags on and the kitchen fires been lighted, than B., who was always anxious about the comforts of his board and lodging, said to me, "'There is only one thing for us to do. We are to rest. We must find a bed and a well-furnished table. I'd rather go to bed an hour later and sleep between sheets after a good meal than lie down at once on straw with an empty stomach. Listen to me. Let us go on to that nice Belgian town over there, only a few steps further. It is hardly ten o'clock. It will be devilish bad luck if we can't find a good supper and good quarters.' We need not trouble about anything else. Let us think first of serious matters. So we started for the little town, which seemed to be wrapped in sleep. We knocked at the doors, but no one opened. No doubt the houses were all full of soldiers. No one offered us any hospitality, in spite of all B's obdurations, now beseeching, now imperious. In despair I suggested at last that we should go back to our squadron and lie down by our horses. But B would not hear of it, and still clung to his idea to have a good dinner and sleep in a bed. Just then we saw a dark figure creeping noiselessly along under a wall. B at once went up to it and caught it by the arm. It was a poor old woman carrying a basket and a jug of milk. He said, Madame, madame, uh, have pity on two poor weary half-starved soldiers. But she couldn't give us any information. Speaking in bad French, interspersed with Flemish, she gave us to understand that the little town was full of troops, and at that hour everybody was asleep. And what is there in that large white building, where the windows are alight? The good woman explained that it was a convent, where nuns took in the old people of the country. They could not give lodging to soldiers, but B had already made up his mind. That was where we were to sleep. Leaving the old woman aghast, he went with long strides to the iron railing which surrounded a little garden in front of the convent. I tried in vain to make him understand that we could not invade these sacred precincts. "'Leave it to me,' he said. "'I'll speak to them.' He pushed the iron gate, which opened with a creak, and I shut it after him. I felt somewhat uneasy as I followed B, who crossed the garden with a rapid stride. I felt uneasy at the thought of his essentially military eloquence, and of the use to which he proposed to put it. But I knew, too, that he was not easily induced to abandon a resolution he had once taken.' True, he did not often make one, but this time he seemed to be carrying out a very definite plan. 
The best thing was to submit and await the result of his attempt. We went up three steps and felt for the knocker. Here it is, said B, and he lifted it and knocked hard. What a dismal sound it made in that sleeping town. I felt as though we had just committed an act of sacrilege. We listened and heard through the door the noise of chairs dragged over the stone floor, then a light footstep approaching, a sound of keys and bolts, and the door was gently opened and held ajar. B, with a bow, what we are doing is this, I know most unusual, but we are dying of hunger and very tired, and so far nobody has been willing to open their door to us. Could we not have something to eat here, and sleep in a bed? The sister looked at us, and appeared not to understand. However, I was more at ease when I saw she was neither frightened nor displeased. She was a very old nun, dressed in black, and held in her hand a little lamp which flickered in the night breeze. Her face was furrowed with deep wrinkles, and her skinny hand held before the lamp seemed transparent. She made up her mind at once. Her face lit up with a kind smile, and she signed to us to come in with words which were probably friendly. This was a supposition, for the worthy nun only spoke Flemish, and we could not understand anything she said. She carefully pushed the bolts again, placed a lamp on the floor, and made a sign for us to wait. Then she went away with noiseless steps, and we were left alone. "'You see?' said B. "'It is all going swimmingly. Now that we have got in, you must leave everything to me.' The flickering lamp lighted the hall dimly. The walls were bare, and there was no furniture but some rush chairs set in a line against the partition. Opposite the door there was a simple wooden crucifix, and the stretched-out arm seemed to bid us welcome. A perfume of hot soup came from the door the old sister had just shut. "'I say,' said B, "'did you smell it? I believe it is cabbage soup, and if so I shall take a second helping.' "'Just wait a bit,' I replied. "'I'll wager they're going to turn us out.' From the other side of the door, by which the portess had just disappeared, we heard a voice calling, "'Sister Gabrielle! Sister Gabrielle!' And a moment after the same door opened, and another nun came in very quietly and rather embarrassed, it seemed to me. She came towards us. "'Sister Gabrielle, your modesty will certainly suffer from all the good I am going to say of you. But I am wrong. You will not suffer, for you certainly will never read the pages I have scribbled during the course of this war.' at odd times, as I could, in bivouacs and billets. But I have vowed to keep a written record of the pictures which have charmed or moved me most during this campaign. If I ever survive it, I want to be able to read them again in my latter days. I want to have them read by those who belong to me, and to show them what kind of life we led during those unforgettable days. And it is not always the battles which leave the most lively impressions. How many delightful things one could relate that have happened outside the sphere of action! What memories of nights passed in the strangest places, as the chances of the march decreed, nights of bitterness during the retreat, nights of fever during the advance, nights of depression in the trenches! What kindly welcomes, what beautiful and what noble figures one might describe! Sister Gabrielle, as you will never read this, and as your modesty will not suffer, let me tell the story of the welcome my friend B and I received that evening at the Covenant of Elverding. Sister Gabrielle came towards us. How pretty she was in the coif that framed her face! How large her blue eyes looked! They really were so, but a touch of excitement made them seem larger still. Above all, she had an enchanting smile, a smile of such kindness that we at once felt at ease and sure of obtaining what we wanted. 
She spoke in a sweet and musical voice, hesitating just a little in the choice of her words, although she spoke French very correctly. "'The Sister Superior has sent me to you,' she said, "'because I am the only one here who can speak French. Messieurs les officers, welcome.' She said it quite simply, and stood quite straight in her black dress, her arms hanging beside her. She might have been a picture of other days, an illuminated figure from a missile. We looked at each other, and smiled too, happy to find so unexpected a welcome. B was now quite self-possessed. "'Sister Gabrielle,' he said, "'see what a wretched state we are in. Our clothes covered with mud, our faces not washed since I don't know when. We have just gone four days without sleep, almost without food, and we have never stopped fighting.' "'Could you not take in two weary, famished soldiers for one night?' "'Sister Gabrielle retained her wonderful smile. "'Without moving her arms, she slightly raised her two hands, "'which showed white against the black cloth of her dress. "'Those hands seemed to say, "'I should like to very much, but I cannot.' "'And at the same time the smile said, "'We ought not to, but it shall be managed nevertheless.' "'Come,' she said, "'in any case we can give you something to eat.' and she took up the little lamp. She went first, opened the door at the end of the passage, and we followed her, delighted. We were dazzled as we came into this new room by the brilliance of the lamps that lit it. It was the convent kitchen. How clean and bright everything was! The copper saucepans shone resplendently. The black and white pavement looked like an ivory chessboard. Two sisters were sitting peeling vegetables which they threw into a bowl of water. An enormous pot on the well-polished stove was humming its inviting monotone. It was this pot which exhaled the delicious smell that had greeted us when we entered the house. The whole picture recalled one of Bale's appetizing canvases. The two sisters raised their eyes, looked at us, and, yes, they smiled too. B was feeling eloquent, wanted to make a speech, but Sister Gabrielle hurried us on. Come, come, she said. It is not worth while. They wouldn't understand you. She opened another door, and we went into a small rectangular room. Whilst our guide hastened to light the lamp hanging above the table, we laid our kits on the windowsill, our revolvers, shakos, binocular cases and map cases. And how tarnished and dirty the things were after those three months of war! We ourselves felt fairly ashamed to be seen in such a state. Our coats worn and stained, our breeches patched, our huge boots covered with mud all formed a strange contrast to the room we were in. It was provided throughout with large cupboards in the walls, the doors of which reached to the ceiling. These doors were of polished wood and shone like a mirror. The floor was like another mirror, that indecafatable chatterer bee gave another speech. Sister, please excuse the costumes of fighting men. We must look like ruffians, but we are honest folk. If our faces do not inspire such confidence, it is simply because our stomachs are so empty. And no one would more resembles a vagabond than a poor wretch who is dying with hunger. You will not know us again after we have had a few words with the pot, which gave us such a savoury smell as we passed. Sister Gabriel did not cease to smile. With wonderful rapidity and skill, she opened one of the cupboards, and from the piles of linen picked out a checkered red and white tablecloth, with which she covered the table. In a moment she had arranged places for two, opposite each other. "'Sit down,' she said, "'and rest. I will go and fetch you something to eat.' B followed her to the door. "'Sister Gabrielle,' he said, 
We have found a paradise. But she had already shut the door, and we heard her in the kitchen, stimulating the zeal of the other two nuns in Flemish. We sat down, delighted. What a long time since we had enjoyed such comfort. Everything there seemed designed to charm our eyes and to rest our minds. There was no noise in the street, and the convent itself would have seemed wrapped in sleep had it not been for the voices in the next room. But the distant roar of the guns still went on, and seemed to make our respite still more enjoyable. We hardly heard Sister Gabrielle when she came in and put down the steaming soup before us. The delicate perfume of the vegetables made our mouths water. For many days past we had had nothing to eat but our rations of tinned meat, and all that time we had not been able to light a fire to cook anything at all. So we fell too eagerly upon our well-filled plates. B. even lost the power of speech for the moment. Meanwhile the pretty little sister, without appearing to look at us, was cutting bread, and then she brought a jug of golden beer. What a treat it was! Why couldn't it be like this every day? In that case the campaign would have seemed almost like a picnic. Whilst I was eating I could not help admiring Sister Gabrielle. She looked so refined in her modest black clothes. Her slightest movements were as harmonious as those of an actress on the stage. But she was nature in all she did, and the grace of every movement was instinctive. As she placed before us an imposing-looking omelette au lard, that rascal B., who had already swallowed two plates of soup and four large glasses of beer, began to maunder thus. Sister Gabrielle? Sister Gabrielle, I don't want to go away tomorrow. I want to end my days here with the old people you look after. Look at me. I am getting old too, and we have been severely tried by life. Why shouldn't I stay here where I am? I should have a nice little bed in the old people's dormitory, with nice white sheets. Go to bed every evening on the stroke of eight, and you, sister, would come and tuck me up. I should sleep, and eat cabbage soup, and drink good beer, your health. Sister, and I shouldn't think any more about anything at all. How nice it would be. No more uniform to strap up after a good dinner. No more shako to squeeze your temples. No more bullets whistling past you. No more coal boxes to upset your whole system. And every evening, a bed. A nice bed. And to think about nothing. Hush, listen, said Sister Gabrielle, with a finger on her lips. At that moment, the noise of the firing became louder. The Germans had no doubt just made a night attack, either on Big Chute or Stienstraat, and now every piece was firing rapidly all along the line. So fast did the reports follow one another that they sounded like a continuous growl. However, the noise seemed to be dominated by the reports that came from a battery of heavy guns, long 120s, two kilometres from Elviding, which made all the windows of the convent rattle. I shuddered as I thought of those thousands of shells hurtling through the darkness for miles to reduce so many living human beings to poor, broken and bleeding things. And I pictured to myself our Prussians of Bixute sprawling on the ground with their teeth set and their heads hidden among the beetroot, waiting until the hurricane had passed to get up again and rush forward with their bayonets cheering. Sister Gabrielle had the same thought, no doubt. She looked still whiter than before under her white coif and clasping her hands and lowering her eyes, she said in a low voice, Mon Dieu, Mon Dieu, it is horrible. Sister Gabrielle, continued the incorrigible bee, don't let us talk of such things. Let us rather discuss this omelette, a dish worthy of the gods, and the bacon in it, the savour of which might imperil a saint. 
Sister Gabrielle, you tempt us this evening to commit the sin of gluttony, which is most venial of all sins, and I will bear the burden of it manfully. I kicked B under the table, to stop his incongruous remarks, but Sister Gabrielle seemed not to have listened to him. She went on serving us similarly, changed our plates, and brought us ham and cheese. B went on devouring everything that was put before him, but this did not stop his divagations. Tell me, Sister Gabrielle, you are not going to turn us out of the house now, are you? It would be an offence against God, who commands us to pity travellers. And we are poor, wretched travellers. If you drive us away, we shall have to sleep on the grass by the roadside with stones for our pillows. No, you couldn't treat us so cruelly. I feel sure that in a few minutes you will show me the bed in the dormitory you will keep for me when I come to take up my quarters with you after the war. Sister Gabrielle's smile had disappeared. For the first time she seemed really distressed. She stopped in front of B, and looked at him with her large clear eyes. She made the same gesture as before, lifted up both of her hands in token of powerlessness, and seemed to be thinking how she could avoid hurting our feelings. Then she said in a disheartened tone, but we have not a single spare bed. A long silence followed this sentence, which seemed to plunge B into despair. The guns continued their ominous booming, making the windows rattle terribly. I too now thought that it would be dreadful to leave the house, and go look for our troops in the dark, and put our men in the inconvenience of making room for us on their straw. So I too looked at Sister Gabrielle imploringly. All at once she seemed to have decided what to do. She began by opening one of the cupboards in the wall, took out of it two small glasses with long tapering stems, and placed them before us with a goodly bottle of Hollands. She had recovered her exquisite smile, and she hurried, for she seemed anxious to put her idea into execution. There, drink, it's good Hollands, and we give it to our poor old people on festivals. Thank you, sister, thank you. But she had already run out of the room, and we were left there, happy enough, sipping our glass of Hollands, and enjoying the luxurious peace that surrounded us. The gums seemed to be further off. We only heard a distant growling in the direction of Epes. Our eyelids began to droop, and there was almost a pleasure to feel the weariness of our limbs and heads, for now we felt that Sister Gabrielle would not send us away. She came back into the room with a candle in her hand. Come, she said. She was now quite rosy, and seemed ashamed, as though she were committing a fault. We followed her enchanted, and went back through the kitchen now dark and deserted. The flickering light of the candle was reflected here and there on the curves of the copper pots and glass bowls. The house was sleeping. We crossed the hall, and went up a broad wooden staircase, polished and shining. What a strange party we were, the youthful sister going in front, treading so softly, and we two soldiers, dusty, tattered and squalid, trying to make as little noise as possible with our heavy, hobnailed boots. The nun's rosary clicked at each step against a bundle of keys that hung from her girdle. I was walking last and enjoying the curious picture. The light fell only on Sister Gabrielle. As she turned on the landing, the feeble ray from below threw her delicate features into relief, her fine nose, her childish mouth, with its constant smile. Our own shadows appeared upon the wall in fantastic shapes. Certainly, we had never received so strange and unexpected a welcome. We passed a high oak door, surmounted by a cross and a pediment with Latin inscription. Sister Gabrielle crossed herself and bowed her head. The chapel, she said in a low voice. And she went quickly on to the accompaniment of her clinking rosary and keys. As we began to go up the second flight of stairs, 
B. resumed his monologue in a whisper. "'Sister Gabrielle, Sister Gabrielle, you are an angel from paradise. Surely God can refuse you nothing. You will pray for me this evening, won't you? For I am a great sinner.' "'Oh, yes, of course I shall pray for you,' she answered softly, as she turned towards us. We came out on a long passage, bare and whitewashed. Half a dozen doors could be distinguished at regular intervals, all alike. Sister Gabrielle opened one of them, and we followed her in. We found ourselves in a small room, austerely furnished with two little iron bedsteads, two little deal tables, and two rush chairs. Above each bed there was a crucifix, with a branch of box attached to it. Each table had a tiny white basin and a little tiny water jug. All this was very nice and amply sufficient for us. Everything was clean, bright, and polished. Thank you, sister. We shall be as comfortable as possible. But one thing. We shall sleep like tops. Will there be anyone to wake us? At what time do you want to get up? At six, sister, punctually, as soldiers must, you know. Oh, then I will see to it. We have mass at four o'clock every morning. At four o'clock? exclaimed B. Every morning? Very well, sister. To show you we are not miscreants, wake us at half-past three, and we will go to mass too. But it isn't allowed. It is our mass in our chapel. No, no, you must sleep. Get to bed quickly. Good night. I will wake you at six o'clock. Good night, sister Gabrielle. Good night. We shall be so comfortable. You see, you had some spare beds after all. Oh, yes, we had. One can always manage somehow. And she went off, shutting the door behind her. And now B and I thought of nothing but the luxury of sleeping in a bed. How delightful it would be after our sleepless nights in the fogs of the trenches. But what was that noise resounding through the convent? What was that knocking and those wailing cries? There was someone at the door, hammering at the knocker, someone weeping and sobbing in the dark. I opened my window and leant out, but the front door had already been opened, and a figure slipped in hurriedly. The sobs came up the stairs to our door, and women's voices, Sister Gabrielle's voice, speaking Flemish, and another voice, sounding like a death-rattle, trying in vain to pronounce words through choking sobs. How horrible that monotonous, inconsolable, continual wail was! It went on for a short time, and then doors were opened and shut, and voices died away, and suddenly the noise ceased. B. had already got into bed, and from under the sheets he begged me in a voice muffled by the bedclothes to put the candle out quickly. But I was haunted by that moaning, though I could not hear it any longer. I wanted to know what tragedy had caused those sobs. I could not doubt that the horrible war was at the bottom of it. And yet we were a long way from the firing line. My curiosity overcome my fatigue. I put on my jacket and went out, taking the candle with me. I ran down two staircases, and my footsteps seemed to wake the dismal echoes in the silent convent. Just as I came to the hall, Sister Gabrielle also arrived with a small lantern in her hand. I must have frightened her, for she started and gave a little scream. But she soon recovered, and guessed what had disturbed me. She told me all about it in a few simple sentences. A poor woman had fled from her village carrying her little girl of eighteen months. As she was running distractedly along the road from Luzerne to Bosheng, a German shell had fallen, and a fragment of it had killed her baby in her arms. She had just come six kilometres in the dark, clasping the little corpse to her breast in an agony of despair. She got to Elverding, and knocked at the door of the convent, knowing that there she would find a refuge. And all along the road she had passed convoys, 
relief troops and dispatch riders. But she took no heed of them. She was obsessed by one thought, to find a shelter for the remains of what had been her joy and hope of her life. "'Just come,' said Sister Gabrielle. "'I will let you see her. We have put her poor little body in the mortuary's chamber, and Sister Elizabeth is watching there.' I followed Sister Gabrielle, who opened a small door and went down a few steps. We crossed a paved court. Her lantern and my candle cast yellowish gleams upon the high walls of the buildings. Heavy drops of rain were falling, making a strange noise on the stones, and a kind of anguish seized me when I again heard the continuous wailing of the unhappy mother. Sister Gabrielle opened a low door very gently, and we went in. I must confess that I had been much less moved when, after the first day of the Battle of the Marne, we passed through a wood where our artillery had reduced a whole German regiment to a shapeless mass of human fragments. Here I realized all the horror of war. That men should kill each other in defense of their homes is conceivable enough, and I honor those who fall. But it passes all understanding why the massacre should include these poor, weak, and innocent creatures and sights such as this one I saw in that little mortuary chapel inspire a fierce thirst for vengeance. On a kind of large table, covered with a white cloth, the poor body was laid out. It bore no trace of any wound, and the little white face seemed to be smiling. The good nuns had covered the shabby clothes with an embroidered cloth. Upon that they had crossed the little hands which seemed to be clasping a tiny crucifix, and over the whole they had strewn an armful of flowers, on each side they had placed silver candlesticks, and the reddish candlelight made golden reflections in the curly locks of the little corpse. Crouching on the ground by the side of it, I saw a shapeless heap of clothes, which seemed to be shaken by convulsive spasms. It was from this heap that the monotonous wailing came. It was the young mother weeping for her little one. One felt that nothing could console her, and that words would only increase her suffering. Besides, she had not even raised her head when we went in. It was best to leave her alone, since they say that tears bring comfort. On the other side a young sister was kneeling at a prie-dieu, telling her rosary. Sister Gabrielle knelt down on the ground beside her. I longed to do something to lessen that grief, and help the poor woman a little. She must have come there in a state of destitution. Her clothes revealed her poverty but I durst not disturb either her mourning or her prayers, and I came out quietly on tiptoe. Outside the rain, which was now falling heavily, refreshed my fevered head somewhat. I crossed the courtyard quickly, but my candle went out, and I had some trouble in relighting it, which was very necessary, as I had to find my way in a maze of doors and passages. At last I reached my staircase, and passed the landing and the sisters' chapel. I heard a distant clock strike midnight, went up another story, and opened our door noiselessly. I thought that B would perhaps be waiting for me impatiently, anxious to learn the reason for all the noise. But B was snoring, with the bedclothes over his ears. At six o'clock someone knocked at our door, and I opened my eyes. Daylight showed faintly through the open window. I wondered where I was, and suddenly remembered Elverding, the convent. "'Is it you, Sister Gabrielle?' I asked. "'Oh, yes, it's I. Get up. I've been knocking for more than an hour.' B sat up in his bed. I did the same, and told him what I had seen the evening before. He shook his head mournfully, and concluded, "'Well, it's war. I hope they'll have a good breakfast ready for us.' 
We hurried through our dressings and ablutions, for we had to get back quickly to our quarters. As we came out of our room, lively and refreshed, we met Sister Gabrielle, who seemed to have been waiting for us. She asked us how we had slept, and, to stop the flood of eloquence that B was on the point of letting loose, she said, "'That's right. You should thank me later on. Come down now. Your breakfast is waiting for you. It will get cold.' But on passing the chapel, B would insist on seeing it. Sister Gabrielle hesitated a moment, and then gave way, as you would to a child for the sake of peace. She opened the outer door and smiled indulgently, as if anxious to humour all our whims. We passed through an ante-room, and then entered the chapel. It was quite small, only large enough to hold about twenty people. The walls were white, without any ornament, and panelled up to about the height of a man. The altar was extremely simple, and decorated with a few flowers. Some rush chairs completed the plenishings of the sanctuary where the good sisters of Elverding assembled every morning at four o'clock for prayers. As we came out of this humble chapel, I noticed two mattresses laid in a corner of the little ante-room. "'And who sleeps here, then, sister?' I asked. Sister Gabrielle turned red as a poppy. I had to repeat my question twice, when, lowering her eyes, she answered, "'Sister Elizabeth, Sister Elizabeth and I.' "'Sister Gabrielle! Sister Gabrielle, then that little room and those two little beds where we slept were yours?' "'Hush, please come to breakfast at once.' And light as a bird she disappeared down the staircase, so quickly that her black veil floated high above her, as though to hide her confusion, and we saw no more of Sister Gabrielle. It was a very old woman, one of the inmates, who brought us our hot milk and coffee, our brown bread and fresh butter, in the dining-room with the high cupboards of polished wood. She explained that at this hour the nuns were busy attending to the old folk, and it was no use begging to see our little hostess again. We were told it would be against the rules, and we felt that the curtain had now indeed fallen upon this charming act of the weary tragedy. Only, just as we were passing out of the convent gate for the last time, the old lady put into our hands a big packet of provisions wrapped up in a napkin. She had brought it hidden under her apron. Here, she told me to give you this, and to say that she will pray for you. Our hearts swelled as we heard the heavy door close behind us, and whilst we went away silently along the broken and muddy road, we thought of the sterling hearts that are hidden under the humble habits of the convent. Sister Gabrielle, I shall never forget you. Never will your delicate features fade from my memory, and I seem to see you still going on up that great wooden staircase, lit up by the flickering flame of the candle, when you and Sister Elizabeth gave up your bed so simply and unostentatiously to the two unknown soldiers. End of chapter 7 Recording by FNH Visit www.bookranger.co.uk